Hello and welcome to the Cinema Judge. Now, if you're a first-time listener, let me briefly tell you what the show's about. This is what we do. We love movies. We like to share movies with you. We get press kits. We get interviews, on-the-set footage, world premiere stuff. We put it together to make one giant infomercial. And me being the judge, I present the evidence to you. And you make up your own mind. I'm not here to tell you not to see a movie. I'm here to give you the evidence. Because here's this is my major jam. Any movie is somebody's favorite movie. Who am I to tell you not to see a movie? We all walk a different path. There's no way I could tell you not to see a movie. That's what we like to do here. This is an oasis, a movie oasis where you could escape all your problems, even if it's just for a little bit. Because we all know it's a massively crazy world. We all have stresses, complications. I want to provide that little bubble where you can learn about a movie, whether it's a blockbuster, independent film, whatever. That's what I like to do. And I hope that's what you like to do too. Because here we get to hear from the actors, the directors, the producers, everybody involved. And they try to say, this is what we think. This is why we think you should see the movie. And that's what I love about doing this show for all these years. I like to engross myself into a movie because there's some movies out there you think I'll never see or there's some movies that you want to see but I like to provide you all the information because these people put in so much time I want to make sure you get all the proper information to put it simply we all want to spend our hard-earned money wisely because we all want the same thing an enjoyable movie experience now speaking of that approaching the bench today we have Babylon now, Babylon stars Brad Pitt, Margot Robbie, Gene Smart, Olivia Wilde, just to name a few. But this is, in a nutshell, it takes place during the transition between silent films and talkies and that massive upturning of how that affected so many lives and people in that whole environment. So I'm going to read to you from the, the, the description of Babylon. A tale of outsized ambition and outrageous excess. It traces the rise and fall of multiple characters during an era of unbridled decadence and depravity in the early days of Hollywood. And that's what it's all about here, people. This is an extravaganza, just epic in nature. And this is not an easy fact, you know, easy, you know, thing to accomplish. So this is what we're gonna do. We're first gonna play the trailer for Babylon. And immediately after that, we're going to play three featurettes. And here's what happens in these featurettes. You're going to hear from the director, the writer, the set designer, the music composer. So many people. There's three featurettes. I'm just going to play them one after the other because I'm not going to interrupt it. It has a flow to it. But you're going to hear from so many people involved in this movie. And each featurette is, is really kind of interesting. They talk about just A, the first about movie, and then the production of it. Making all these sets all around the world, it's really fascinating. So I'm just going to let this roll. Here's a trailer and featurettes for Babylon. I think what we have here in Hollywood is high art. It's... Party size, If you could go anywhere in the whole world, where would you go? I always want to be part of something bigger. Yes. Let's go! 
something that lasts, that means something. You know, when I first moved to LA, I got your face touching you know what the signs on all the doors read? No actors or dogs allowed. I changed that. Good morning. Good job for you. I'll do anything. That's the jackass they said to screw us. Yeah! This bitch is stealing the scene right from under me. She's icing her nipples so they perk up through her dress. I ain't icing my nipples. This is natural. Where do you say we coming for my close-up now? What are your thoughts for the future? Shouldn't stand in the way of progress. This is gonna be what it's gonna be. Here's the twist. Whoa! The girl seems nice. She is. She has no idea what's next. There's a new sensibility now. People care about morals. I've never done nothing except disappoint people my whole life. But I made it on my terms, not theirs. We are going to be more than they ever bargained for. What I do means something. It's bigger than you. about a group of people who find themselves in early Hollywood at a time of extreme depravity and debauchery and excess. It's the biggest thing I've ever tried to do. Action. It was such an insane time. It was just wild, like the Wild West. The story follows multiple characters that have an ambition to be a part of something bigger than themselves. We've got to innovate. We've got to inspire. Jack Conrad is the biggest film actor at the top of his game, and he's calling a lot of the shots. Take two frames off the tail and three more off the head. Manny is our guide through the story. These are eyes and ears from an outsider's point of view. He's a dreamer, someone that is trying to find his way. You can feel it. It's something bigger than life. Nelly is an aspiring actress. She's like a tornado. Hello, Colin! Jesus Christ! And she's not gonna let anyone stand in her way. I got here on my terms, not theirs. Party time! It's a uniquely different cinematic experience. And it's going to be truly amazing. It shows a side of Hollywood beyond what you could have imagined. I'm in so much trouble. People are going to be really shocked to see how crazy it was. Is this going to be what it's going to be? It's really funny at times. Look at these idiots! It's really sexy at times. The film is so big, it's really an epic. It's just phenomenal. 
Martin has brought back history in a way that has made it so alive. You're going to find a Los Angeles that you can taste and smell and touch because of her work. In discussions with Damien about how he wanted the film to look visually, from the get-go, he said, I want to be very historically accurate. My first evolution is diving into research and looking at what the city looked like in the 20s. Florencia had this insane challenge with this movie of not just recreating Los Angeles at this time, but also within that, recreating each studio experience, and within that, recreating each of the sort of fictional movie sets. You're talking about sets within sets within sets. The first week of shooting was the sort of big kinescope sequence. We found this location in Peru, and we came here because it's completely desolate, and it was what Hollywood and studios looked like in the silent film era. Action! What had been a completely empty field, Florencia and her team used as the basis for building an outdoor silent movie studio with six or seven sets running at all times. It was extraordinary. Cut. So, now what did we discuss? When in doubt, say something French. There's two worlds in this film. There's people that are very impoverished, and then there's people that have a lot of money. Looking at how we were gonna shape those worlds by color was really important. Damien wanted to be bold with our color choices while still being historically accurate. Building sound stages, an entire 900-person battlefield, and six high-end homes, and doing historical recreations. Babylon is at the scale of these mythical movies you heard of in the past. We've got to innovate. We've got to inspire. What happens up on that screen means something. And camera. And music. Our guiding principle for music was to be rooted in the time, but to really push the edges of what we normally expect. I was blown away by the script. And once we started talking about what the score could be, what if we use the instrumentation of a 1920s jazz band, but hinting at rock and roll, modern dance music. I got very excited about it. We wanted music that was more aggressive. Hell yeah! More in your face. We've got to innovate. We've got to inspire. Justin has been working on this music even before we began shooting, so you feel that in the work. There's no doubt in my mind this is a score for the ages. Justin's music gives me chills. It's really, really beautiful. So we want to build plateau, build plateau, build plateau. To get to play some of the songs brilliantly composed by Justin. You got those cameras pointed in the wrong direction. I mean, it was really cool. Tracks like the one that you hear at this opening party. Oh, I love this song! It's full of wild solos, screaming sax, wailing trumpet, and creating the sound of that perk. It's banging shoehorns, wood hitting the floor of my home. Literally, it's unhinged in like a beautiful way. Putting it all together, like the amount of sessions, the amount of players in this movie. Been a really complicated but gratifying score to put together. 
See what I'm saying? That just sums it up perfectly. An extravaganza, those featurettes really give you a good feel of what this film's about. But up next, we're going to hear from the director and then Margot Robbie. And at first, the director's going to talk about just the whole movie and just what it's about. But let me tell you about his credentials. This guy has skills. Remember La La Land in 2016? That's his baby. Whiplash, his. Just those two movies alone are enough to, for a director to say, yep, look what I accomplished. Both La La Land and Whiplash. If you've seen not either one of those, make sure you do it. Because, I mean, Whiplash, I mean, that's just brilliant. And so is La La Land. And he also did First Man. First Man. And also, he did a screenplay for 10 Cloverfield Lane. This guy, mad skills. So you're going to hear from him talking about the movie. And then Margot Robbie, who's, again, can we just say anything more about her? Just outstanding. Babylon is an original epic set in the early days of Hollywood. It's about ambition. It's about excess. It's about hubris. And it's about a society on the brink of massive change. I basically early on became interested in those early days of Los Angeles and Hollywood when they were still um, getting built and getting kind of figured out. And um, But the more I sort of looked at that period of time, the more I became aware of just how uh, crazed and insane um, the people were and the environment was. Um, you know, it was this sort of larger-than-life assemblage of of misfits of all stripes who kind of came together to build this city out of nothing, build an industry out of nothing. Um, and there's a certain kind of crazed behavior that comes from that. So I wanted to try to capture in a really unvarnished, unsanitized way um, just the extremes to which they lived and worked and partied um, and uh, and what what that kind of behavior um, led to, both good and bad. On a bigger level, I think I just liked the idea of looking at a society in change, you know. And, um, um, you know, in, in the case of Babylon, it's a, uh, it's a society that's undergoing uh, a change that's both incredibly rapid and really incredibly violent. You know, I, I, I remember being shocked when I first started reading just how many suicides there were uh, uh, kind of uh, all grouped around this short uh, period of time. Um, you know, it gives you a sense of the human cost of this thing, the human cost of, you know, we, we like to use words like disruption now um, in a kind of euphemistic or, or, or positive way. But, you know, you look at what these people, these human beings went through um, at this time. And, and it, yeah, it puts a face on the, uh, on the damage of, of that kind of, um, of, of, uh, of that kind of sea change. It is a film about making film. It is a film about a real transition in cinema history, and it's also approaching it a way that no one's done before. No one has ever depicted that time in Hollywood the way this film does. And I think people are going to be really shocked. I mean, I was shocked when I started, like, doing my research because I think you think of the 20s as being quite, you know, buttoned up in Charleston and, you know, We've seen that depicted on screen in a very polished way. Um, and actually it was just such an insane and debaucherous time. It was just wild. She's an aspiring actress. She kind of catapults into the film and um, 
she she <laughs> is trying to get into a Hollywood party and uh, she's not on the guest list. She's not invited, but she is going to get into that party no matter what. And she's just arrived in Hollywood and she's going to be a big star. She knows she is. She knows that's what she was destined for, but she comes from nothing. And, um, you know, she's she's going to take it. She's not going to let anyone stand in her way. Um, and she meets Manny, Diego's character, who helps her get into the party. And that kind of kicks off their relationship. They they keep crossing paths and, uh, and well, you'll see. Now, that was Margot Robbie talking about one of the key elements to this movie is despite all the debauchery, it comes down to this relationship between these two people who are incredibly different. Deals with Nellie and Manny. And Manny is played by Diego. And here's the deal. In a nutshell, this might not have any comparison, but... This is how I look at this kind of relationship and this kind of movie. This is a little bit, in my mind's eye, a little bit like Forrest Gump and Jenny because they're so wild, wildly different, you know, because like Jenny was this wild, crazy woman and Forrest was just more grounded and just was there for her. And a lot of us in life, whether what whatever side you're on of this, whether you're a Jenny or you're a Forrest or whether you're a Manny and you're a Nelly, those people... <laughs> If you have a Jenny or a Nelly in your life, they can mess you up, kick you in the teeth, and just explode your world. But you're glad they did. And a lot of times, those are the best relationships any human could ever have. That person who just shakes up your world and just says, let's go. Let's just get out of this rut. Fear nothing. Full forward. Full throttle. And most of us have had a a Jenny or a Nelly, and to all of you, and you know who you are, whether you're on either side of that, I salute all of you because that's where life lessons are learned and that's what makes life's best stories ever. Because I know I've had mine and I know who you are and I salute you. But in these next interviews, we're going to hear from both Margot Robbie and Diego Calva and also the director, and they talk about this relationship and just how, how it works and how it plays out. I'm just going to let this go and have them talk. Nelly, she's a starlet. That's how, how you, you say it, no? So yeah. come on, like a, a girl that wants to be an actress. And the same as Manny, she just dream bigger. She, she really... It's not the same as Manny. It's more like she knows she's a star. She's just waiting. <laughs> she's just uh, waiting for the world to, to realize. She she's looking to go to that kind of parties to meet a producer to meet to take a chance you know, but she's completely confident. That's I think is the first thing Manny saw on her. Like this is a wild crazy girl, but it's the opposite of me. Manny saying sorry at, at the beginning of the movie a lot because sorry 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 sorry. He's trying to be like polite all the time, and then he met this girl, that is the opposite. It's not polite. It's completely rude. She's crazy, and she's doing whatever she, it takes to get what she wants. And I think that's what Manny sees like incredible, like ad admirable, you know? And that's what he falls in love so fast. It's not only that she's beautiful, it's her attitude, her her magnetic power. The operating principle with Nelly was that she's a force of nature, that she's someone who, uh, you know, just uh, um, kind of crashes into everything that she <laughs> that she encounters and and uh, but there's a kind of magic that arises from that it's part of why she becomes a star so quickly it's also part of why she she and her career encounter problems so quickly um you know uh 
but she's very much, uh, I would say, kind of a representative of that that real Wild West spirit of the time where the old rules were out the window. You know, the Victorian age was a memory. World War One had demolished all of that. Um, and here you are in this kind of uh, uh, wide open land of California where, you know, the possibilities seem endless. Um, and you've got this mushrooming town, mushrooming industry where people all over the country and the world are flocking like moths to the flame. There's a sort of collective... Um, uh, hysteria and madness that comes from that. And she is absolutely, you know, uh, an embodiment of that. She, she works hard. She parties hard. She, um, lives hard in every, in every way. I think there's something just innately pure about Manny and Nellie senses that the very first time she meets him. And I think it's the way he looks at her kind of like from the, the night they meet, he kind of looks at her like he's, he loves her and, would do anything for her and I think the selfish part of her recognizes that that could be helpful for her and then I think the hopeful part of her kind of recognizes that no one's ever really looked at her like that with like a pure kind of love not kind of a destructive kind of need or desire um so I think she knows deep down that Manny will always look after her or do whatever he can. Manny is our eyes and ears. The idea for me was to, uh, you've got a world here that's so larger than life. Um, uh, I wanted to show what it might be like to experience that from from an outsider's point of view. So, uh, so the idea of someone who up till the very beginning of the movie uh, is, you know, kind of peering peering in from the outside, kind of knocking on the doors, um, uh, wishing he were um, in this thing that he's kind of on the margins of um, and using him as our, uh, yeah, as our access point, as our, you know, uh, ultimately our, our, our guide through, through the story. The first time we see Manny, he's dealing with a problem, trying to solve a problem because that's like what Manny does <laughs> or what he's trying to do all the time. Manny is a dreamer. Manny is someone that is trying to find his way, to open his way uh, into the movies. He want to work in a film set. He want to work. He wants to do anything related to movies. He doesn't care if he has to clean, if he has to do anything. Uh, and our introduction to Manny is probably the most important night of his life. Jack Conrad is uh, the biggest superstar, movie star in the world, uh, in the silent era. Um, Jack is, is like a veteran, you know? He, he's been there like forever. He's very important to the industry. He's someone. And also, he's like the coolest guy ever, right? He's super chill. He's in his element. Uh, and he's about to also live a big transition, right? So Manny is very lucky to meet him. And I think Jack sees in Manny right away uh, someone that wants to work. Someone handful, you know, useful. I think Manny sees something like a father figure, right? Like a paternal something. But it's still like a working relationship, right? And Jack is a superstar, but also is a little, let's say, this, he can distract easily, <laughs> be distracted easily. So Manny became some kind of his assistant in a way, like his right hand. And as I told you, Manny is going to do anything, anything to keep like being close to the movies. 
So Jack is the guy that finally uh, made Manny's dream came true, that he's going to a Hollywood set and be part of the movie-making process. Now to all you Nelly and Manny's out there, enjoy the ride. You'll be glad you did. Now coming up next, we're going to hear from Margot Robbie, and she's going to talk about how great Brad Pitt was in this role. I just love hearing other actors talk about other actors like this. And then we're going to hear from the director talking about the character and how he's held to such a level of near deity that even in today's standards, standards, it's really hard to live up to. And a lot of times I think we take that for granted as a fan because we just, you know, oh, wow, it's so-and-so, whether it be an athlete, musician, actor, they're held to this level of unachievable, you know, perfection. And then when they fall, it's such a massive explosion. And I can't imagine being one of those people who are held to that level because it's like, dude, I'm just a human being. And that's what they kind of address in this movie about just a mad worship of people and things of that nature. And immediately after that, from the world premiere, we're going to hear from Brad Pitt. And he's going to talk about that kind of fact itself about he's held to this level and, but how he, even Brad Pitt realizes it's not about me. It's about the whole group, the whole entity. We were creating magic here, but we're all doing it together. And it's really kind of cool to hear him talk about that because I, you know, they all think about that sometimes, but a lot of times interviews, they talk about me, 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 but he could really pull back and say, it takes all of us, and we're making magic here, and it's 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 forever. So here, check it. It's really cool stuff. Check it out. Brad is exceptional in this film. I mean, I'm a huge fan. He's exceptional in everything. But there's something really special. And maybe it is that thing of, like, seeing an actor play an actor that feels like a little bit like you're seeing, I don't know, it's like you're seeing behind the curtain or something. And he's such a movie star in real life and he's such a movie star in this film. But he's also, he's, I mean, the character is incredible and he does incredible things with it. But he really, like, says the things, his character says the things that I know Damien feels about the film industry and about, uh, that we all kind of feel, you know, he, like why it's special and why it matters and he articulates it. Jack is her the uber movie star. You know, he's he's uh, he's the highest grossing leading man in the world. When we meet him, he's uh, you know he he's he was very much modeled on that kind of early lineage of um, of you know male movie stars of that time. Whether it was John Gilbert, Douglas Fairbanks, you know, uh, um, you know uh, uh, Valentino. You know, there, there, there's a um, <clears throat> this, this this kind of ideal of the romantic leading man, you know, um, uh, at a time when, um, again, the whole idea, you have to remember the whole idea of a movie star was, was this sort of novel concept. So Jack Conrad, uh, you know, he's, he, he's one of these guys who has reached the apogee of stardom right at that moment, at that fulcrum where, um, where the kind of love and adulation he inspires is really hard, I think, even for today, for, for us to, to, to fathom. It's, it's, it's near, you know, it's like a near deity. You know, this, we have this view on, I think, silent movie era um, is kind of calm, pristine. By all reports, it was a wild, wild west. And they were, like anything could go, they were making up, you know, the rules as they went along. 
And that's what I think Damien Chazelle has captured here. There's like, there's like Fellini moments in the opening scene. It's, it's funny, it's, it's moving, and it's big. It's really big. We follow all these characters as they move and cross paths through this, this big seismic change from the, from the silent era to the talkies. I have been really fortunate to work with some our very, very best directors. And it really is a director's medium. And he, I, I'm still like, kind of amazed at how much he gets into a shot. I don't, I don't know how I could explain that other than it's so sumptuous, it's so visually, there's so much going on. You have to go back and I find other things that are happening in that scene. This, I feel really fortunate. I feel really blessed to be part of this film with these people and and really blessed just to be able to do this still to tell stories um, and I think the movie points that out too that that none of us are important it's the it's the community it's those that have come before us it's those that will come after us that 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 what it's all about I love that just having the insight to realize you know, this is your time. This is your brief moment in time. There's going to be so many after you and there's millions before you. But knowing, enjoying this moment now, they created this magical moment and it'll live forever. That's what's so cool about any kind of movie out there. You know, sadly that some of the old, old, old ones might be lost forever. But in this day and age, once it's out there, digital, digitized and you know, on the internet, whatever it is, it will never go away, thankfully. Whether Whatever you think of any movie, but it's there forever. And it's just cool hearing them talk about that. But up next, we're going to hear from the director. And he's going to talk about the character Eleanor St. John, played by the fantastic Gene Smart. And just talks about that whole uh, exploiting reporter, trying to get to the details and how one person or one company can completely make or break a future of any actor or actress whatsoever. They wield that power because like that saying always goes, you don't want to, you want to worry about when they stop talking about you. That's when it's bad. Cause like they always say, any news is good news. But even if you're hearing negative, it must be hard as a performer in that world to hear that every day, just being barraged. So that's what this character, Eleanor St. John is about. And the director talks about that. And immediately after that, we're going to hear from Margot Robbie talking about Jean Smart and just how she's just perfect for this role. And just as an actress herself, is just amazing. And then after that, we're going to hear from Jean Smart talking about her character and that whole world of paparazzi and all that stuff. Eleanor St. John is, um, uh, uh, is a... Uh Combo, you know, uh, journalist, gossip columnist, um, fixer, uh, you know, uh, uh, puller of the strings, um, uh, sort of socialite. She's kind of, uh, uh, you know, this sort of reigning um, uh, dowager empress. Uh, you know, at least, at least, I think that's how she would describe herself. Of um, of Hollywood, she's modeled on a variety of people. I mean, most most specifically, Eleanor Glynn. Um, uh, you know, but also, um, you know, as you get a little bit later in Hollywood, obviously, uh, people like Luella Parsons and Hedda Hopper and, and, um, um, uh, you know, I think, uh, she's, uh, she's someone who, uh, I think revels in 
the power she has to kind of, you know, make or break careers and, and, uh, you know, discover people and, uh, whatever the opposite of discover people is, uh, you know, sort of make a point of forgetting people. Jean's exceptional in this film. And she's so, we all know she's a brilliant comedic actress. And so you get such like pleasure out of all those little quips, those moments in her accent and all the stuff she's doing. She's just, you're just, ugh, you just like eat it up. It's so good. But then her dramatic moments are just like, I can't think of another scene in a movie I've seen in any recent decades that have, has hit me in that way. It's, it's so impactful and special, and she delivers it beautifully. First of all, it's such a great script, and I thought, you know, that period in Hollywood when we're transferring from the silence to the talkies is just fascinating. And, uh, and of course, you hear the name Damien Chazelle, you think, you know, where do I sign? Um, he's so brilliant and turns out to be as nice as he is brilliant. Um, my first reaction, though, when I read the script was, whoa, <laughs> was Hollywood as wild as all that? Um, we have some party scenes that are pretty um, uh, uninhibited, shall we say. Pat Conrad is Brad Pitt. He's the Brad Pitt of his day. And uh, so, of course, she always wants to sit down and have a chat with Jack about who he's married to that week. and you know, how he feels about his current film he's working on, how he feels about his current leading lady, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So whenever she can get some words in with Jack, that's that's the coup. That's the big coup. It's interesting, her her, her mentorship of, of, of Nellie. I mean, I think that she, I think she kind of lives vicariously through, you know, the Hollywood people. Um, she's a writer, and writers, you know, sit back and observe, you know, they... They don't um, interact as much. Um, when she does get to interact, I think she loves it, you know. But um, I, I just think that she thinks this girl is so special and needs her. I think she really feels she needs her. And she likes molding people and molding people's careers and manipulating people to a certain extent. So this is the perfect lump of clay to get her hands on and make her even more beautiful, make her more refined, bring out her talent, bring out that that unnameable quality that I just, that Eleanor just calls it. She's got it. Um, and Nellie is such a diamond in the rough, really rough. <laughs> Now, that was the incredibly talented, brilliant Gene Smart talking about Nellie, played by Margot Robbie. Now, up next, we're going to hear from Margot Robbie talking about the relationship between her and Lady Faye. And Lady Faye is played by Lily. And it's really fantastic to listen to how one character is so wildly different than the other. But that's what really draws each other to each other because of those differences. And they both admire each part of them. And then after Margot Robbie, we're going to hear from Lily, and she's going to talk about her character, Lady Faye. And then right after that, she's going to talk about their relationship. And again, it's really cool to hear these two actresses talking about each character and how different they are, but that's what makes them such great friends. Lady Faye has this composure that Nellie is never, ever, ever going to have. Um, and I think it's so perplexing to Nellie that she can be all these things and then hold it so still at the same time. I think stillness is something that Nellie 
is just never going to achieve. So there is something so intriguing and magnetic about Lady Faye. And Lily is, you know, Lily's done Broadway. I mean, obviously she can sing and dance. She's she's exceptionally talented on, on a lot of different levels. But she she brings that that energy to Lady Faye that just really sets her apart from all the other characters in the film. So much of so many of us are like running around like chickens with their heads chopped off. It's just madness all the time. Even even Jack Conrad as, you know, Brad's character, even as like smooth and suave as he is he's still like a loose cannon. <laughs> he's still, um, you know, he's still like insane and in these insane relationships all the time and just like, you know, getting drunk all the time and all this kind of stuff. But Lady Faye is just badass. I think she is the epitome of strength, of beauty, of grace, elegance, and, and, and stillness. And despite uh, all the pain that she had endured being an American-born Chinese and all the rejection that she's faced, um, I think it's also created who she is. And I always try to remember that I have to balance these two, especially playing this version of, of who Damien wants to portray. Nellie is just spitfire of just ball of energy, of raw energy, and I think she is everything that Lady Faye is not, and I think that's why she was very attracted to her, because you see this raw talent, uninhibited, unfiltered, and uh, just I think it's a breath of fresh air for her. That was such a great set of interviews. But now up next... This is one of my favorite interviews in a long time. We're going to hear from Margot Robbie. And in this interview, she talks about how they shot back before the talkies. They were all next to each other, just everything blaring, just the most unpleasant situations because you didn't have to worry about sound. They could be shooting stuff all over the place. They had stages everywhere. But then she also talks about shooting this on film and the idea that it's happening now in that how much how much film do we have in that that raw feeling of excitement thinking this is what we have to do film is limited especially back in the day because i'm sure they kind of got in the mood of that because back in the day they the, the film was so rare and they had to really try to you know get pieces together and there wasn't like now with unlimited time with digital with digital, you can just keep going and going and going, delete, delete, delete. But with film, it's the real deal. It's it's set, it's there, and if you don't do it, you just waste a ton of film. They had to have such focus. And that's what she talks about here. And it just makes me really appreciate, and we all know this already, what an amazing talent Margot Robbie really is. She's a producer, actress, all of it. Her future is going to be so bright and I just love watching from afar because she's going to be such a massive influence on what we see in the future. And I love that because now people like this who have this amazing talent can share that with us in many different you know versions and styles of film, not just the same kind of role. Because if you all think about it, sometimes when you hear these characters come along, you think, okay, they're going to play the same role over and over. Not with Margot Robbie. This this amazing talent. She's just, just now beginning to show us the tip of the iceberg 
of what she's going to bring to us. So here she is talking about that whole thing about shooting on film. Check it out. It's madness the way they used to shoot back then out in the desert in broad daylight because there's no sound. It was like a, a cacophony of noises, you know, there was, it's so different, which of course in the movie you then see how different things are once you enter, you know, the stages and the studios and you have mics um, and everything has to, has to be so quiet. But to begin with, it's like it's all blaring harsh sunlight and crazy noise and all the sets next to each other all filming at the same time and that's how they used to do it and, you know, pouring asbestos <laughs> for snow and whatever and, um, you know, just it's just it's just madness. When you're acting, knowing that it, you're shooting on film and knowing how rare that is these days to get to be able to do that, it feels so special and you can, you see this in Babylon, you can literally hear when a roll of film rolls out. Like you, there is this, it's just magic because you just want to give everything on that take and you, you know, before you start a take, they'll say how many, you're like, how many feet have we got left? And they'll they'll shout out, okay, we've got such and such amount of feet left, you know, on of film. Can we get a whole take for that? No, we'll never make it. Okay, take it from that line. Okay, cool. Are we rolling? I mean, there's this, there's this moment, there's this feeling of like, we have to get it now and it's going to be printed on celluloid forever. See what I mean? Great interview. Now, up next, we're going to hear from the director and he's going to talk about what he wanted to try to attempt by making this movie. And now this kind of movie, this is sweeping. It's epic. It's massive. It, it explores that world that we can only imagine because you know. This kind of film, you don't really truly touch on the true madness in Bedlam of that era because it wasn't the coverage like we have today. Could you imagine? I always daydream about this. Imagine, if you will, that if they had internet then, <laughs> can you imagine the debauchery and just how incredible that world would have been to try to cover? I can't even imagine. But this what this movie tries to capture, that era, that era of just sheer bedlam and debauchery. And I think he did it. He nailed it. And it's not easy to do. All these moving parts and just, it's, it's amazing. Here he is just talking about what he wanted to try to achieve. What I wanted to do with the movie is try to look at the whole organism as, as, a, as a piece. I mean, there's all these individual characters, but really there's also the sort of macro character of... Um, of the town, of the industry at this moment in time. Um, and so uh, I wanted to try to, you know, parallel some of these paths, you know, someone who's just rising up with someone who is uh, is the sort of current king of the moment, you know, um, uh, someone who's knocking on the doors outside looking in, um, uh, sort of, you know, crossed and contrasted with um, someone who holds the levers of power at that time. And then you sort of see how these tectonic plates shift, because that's really one of the most interesting things, I think, that, ha uh, you know, that happened at that time. And that's what's incredible. That whole history, who knows how much of it is lost. And he tried to bite off a huge bite of history here. What a backbone on this guy. To try to tackle this with such an amazing cast, it's incredible. But I think if you watch it, you understand and get it that I think he nailed it. And even if you can't see it in a theater, because I get it, life's busy. I mean, it really should be seen on the biggest theater, you know, biggest screen as you can. But if you have to wait until it comes out, I get it. But either way, I think still, that being said, it's worth seeing. Because it's so massive and epic and just captures the 
audacity of the era of the era. I don't know. That's just maybe maybe I'm just overthinking it. But in my mind, why not? I think it's worth a shot. Now I hope you enjoyed our in-depth look at Babylon. Now, if you guys want to watch the TV version of this, go to Bloomington, Minnesota's webpage, or you can go to bit.ly backward slash cinema judge. There, you can watch this show and many others on demand whenever you want. And on those shows, it's all interviews. It's all everything you hear here, but you don't hear an ounce of me. You don't see me at all. It's all interviews and everything else we have. In other episodes, we have clips, uh, on-the-set footage, stuff like that. So if you're into movies as much as I am, check that out. I think you'll enjoy it. Now, if you guys have any questions, comments, or concerns, please let me know. Cinemajudge at Hotmail.com I can't grow if I don't know. Let me know what I'm doing right, what I could do better. All I care about is you coming back. And I'm on most platforms, from Flipboard, TikTok, Instagram, you name it. I'm on, like I said, TikTok. I'm a little bit behind on there, but I would love your ideas, your input, any constructive constructive criticism can't hurt. Because all I care about is you enjoying the show and keep coming back. Because that's what this is all about. Me sharing movies with you. I love movies, and I think you do too. And that's what we try to do here. Just give you all this information and just hide in a bubble for a little bit. Because we know what kind of crazy world is out there. That's what I want to provide. A place where you can just forget about all the noise. And just learning about whatever movie we're talking about that week. Whether it's a blockbuster or an independent film. That's our jam. So please let me know what you think. On any platform. Or you can email me. I don't care. Cinemajudge at hotmail.com But now, it's one of my favorite parts of the show. This is where I thank you for listening to the last episode. And if you say, hey, I listened to some of the back catalog, why didn't you mention me? Those are impossible to f- try to find and you know catch up on. So if you don't want your name read, listen to an old episode. But if you do, or you're not your name, but your location, listen to the newest episode we have. And then on the next episode, I'll give you a shout out for listening because I am so grateful for you taking time out of your busy life to listen to this show. Whether you're driving to work, just sitting at home, driving in your car, whatever it is, I really appreciate this. I mean, you could be listening to this like the day after or weeks or months or years later. So all I got to say to you is wherever, whenever, or whatever you're doing, this is for you. To all my listeners from the United States, United Kingdom, a lot of you from the United Kingdom this week. Thank you. Also, Germany, Canada. Russia, I am so grateful to every solitary one of you. St. Paul, Minnesota, Omaha, Nebraska, several from there. Minneapolis, Minnesota, Crawley, West Sussex, thank you so much. Stockton, California, Chicago, Illinois, Montreal, Quebec, Fargo, North Dakota. To all my people up there in North Dakota, I salute you. You guys bust your butt. Thanks for listening. Littleton, Colorado, Simi Valley, California, Bloomington, Indiana. Farmington, Minnesota, Holyoke, Mass, Virginia, and I'm going to butcher this name, but Tabahonic, Virginia, thanks so much for stopping by, Worms, Ryland Falls, 
again, that was horribly wrong. But when I saw worms, I'm like, wow, obviously that might mean something different compared to here. Frankfurt AM Mass, AM Hess, excuse me, and Kaber Osvaska. That, that was horribly wrong, but that's probably the one from Russia. And so many more of you, every one of you who take time out of your life, thanks for listening to this show, and I hope you come back. But now you know what time it is. If you're a regular listener, it's now time for the Bourbon Shoutout. And this week, it goes to Chanel. She works at the MetaQuest Support Group. Now, I am so technically inept, it's shocking that I could even do this. But it's such a, you know, I've been doing it for so long, it's, you know, I, I can manage it. But anything out of my wheelhouse, I am a lost, like, it's insanely embarrassing. But Chanel, she was able to be patient, understanding, and completely helpful to a complete knob like me. And I, I can't even tell you how grateful I am that she was able to help me. And also Rocco, he helped me guide me through the emails and help me out. Because let me tell you this, I just recently started playing with that whole Meta Oculus 2. And oh my goodness, it is insane. The advertisements that they've been showing you doesn't do it justice. There is so much out there from, you can go tour around the world to real places. Because a buddy of mine, he was talking talk to me about this. There's a place that he went in the whole, you know, thing there where he remember looking at things on the wall and you can see those things on the wall because the Google people set up the cameras actually in the spot and you sit there and you could arrow through the real deal. It's not live, no, but it's current. So wherever like Google goes, you can go in some of these places. And not just that, there's these games you could play just insane. And you could create your own world. Just say you have your passion is, I'm just going to make something up here, fishing, bowling, skeet shooting, whatever it might be. You yourself can make your own little world and people from all over the world can come and play. Meta guys, they or people, they provide all these things, all the tools for you for free. And you could create any world you want. And just recently, I went on a couple worlds that this guy just finished doing it like that day. And in his world, it's called The Valley. He has cornhole throwing, go-karts, and this hill where you roll down these giant like uh, uh, things of cheese. Like the round ones are like shaped like a wheel. You can either roll it down the hill, and there's obstacles there, or you can just hurl it down there and try to make it into this little giant hole. You know, simple things like that. And he has a zero-gravity room. But whatever you want to do, you could do it there and he just started making it on his own. Whatever world you want to create, you could create. Yesterday, I was talking to this guy. Oh, yeah, I just got this done today. And what do you think? And it, it's it's insane. It's so cool. You could talk to the creators. There's one that's Laser Tag one. And I think it's called Laser Tag Hip Hop Dance Club. Or if it's not that, it's very close to it. But that world is mind-blowing. You're just flying around just laser tagging people left and right. I, I It's so fun. I love it. Everybody who does this, I, I, I salute you because you know that's not my jam. I couldn't be that creative. But for those who do, that whole meta quest world is awesome. So if you have some time ever, know somebody who has one, 
check it out. It is far more than their advertising. And I'm shocked that they don't advertise it better because I'm like, oh my goodness, somebody even my age can find so much joy in different things. But now, as I mentioned earlier, you know I do a TV version of this. And when I'm doing a TV version, I'm cranking tunes. That's my happy place. Music, movie, music, movie, and editing. It's everything is perfect in my world when that's going on. And I can just crank the tunes as loud as I want because I don't have to worry about this or any kind of noise in the background. I can just make this show. And when I was doing the show, I just kind of, I felt, okay, this is a, just a massive film. It's a glorious film. It's, it's, it's a extravagant type movie, if that makes any sense. It's just big time. And every once in a while, when you want to feel something big, I put on Coldplay. Because they have such epic songs. They're just just gorgeous. And they can be super happy and positive, but then heart-wrenching at the right, at the, you know, at the same time. That's what sets them apart. They can be happy slappy and then heavily just deep. And that's what I was listening to when I first started. I first started with, and I'm going to butcher the name of this album because they always have such unique album titles. But I first started off with Milo Exlato. Again, that's a horrible description of it. But then I went to X and Y, A Head Full of Dreams, A Rush of Blood to the Head, great album. And then Viva La Vida or Death to Him, whatever it is that one is, it's the Viva La Vida album. And then I ended up with them with playing Parachutes, the first album, which has the song Yellow. And of course, I remember seeing them on, on SNL when that, when that album came out. I remember watching them going, oh, who are these guys? It's like, oh, sweet. And I remember going to work the next day, talking to a good friend of mine. I'll call her Miss Cooper. And it was just fun talking to her about the movie, or about the about the band. Like, oh, who are these guys? And it's always been kind of fun. And also there's a song that really rings deep to me is The Scientist. I remember middle of the winter when this album came out, or shortly after it, I should say, my, my grandmother died. And I was on a road trip with my brother and my mother Middle of winter, the wind was blowing on this open for a highway. You know how it is like when the snow blows and it's going over the road? It's like a, it looks like a beautiful wave, like the ocean or sand. It was just like, whoa. And the scientist was on. And I remember having a, a camcorder and I was recording it. And it was just, and this song was playing on the radio. And I was just like shooting it out there. And just, you know, if you listen to that song, The Scientist, I'm there on an open highway, no one around blizzard-like conditions, and the, the snow was just flowing over the road like like water. It was just so cool, especially when you listen to the lyrics about going back in time and where it all began, stuff like that, and going to my grandmother's funeral with my mother and, and my brother with me too. It was just, every time I hear that song, I'm like, oh yeah, it brings me right back to that car. But I wasn't done with the episode yet. So then I go, well, why not just throw on some other just pure, just just plug in the guitar and play kind of rock and roll. And I threw down the cult. Now you might remember who, who or maybe you don't know who the cult were. Like they did Wildflower, Little Devil, Firewoman, Sweet Soul Sister, Love Removal Machine, and so on. But I felt, yeah, this is appropriate. I'm going to throw in some cult. I haven't listened to them in years. But it was worth it. And I was able to plow through this show with just an epic two bands to make that merge me into this episode, if you will. Well, that is it. My glass awaits. I'm thirsty. 
So cheers to you and to the movies. So until next time, be well, be good, and I'm gone. I'm Jeff. Thanks for listening to The Cinema Judge. (laughs) 